My name is Bea Gonzalez, and I am a writer of mostly novels. And I'm Jay Rettelsberger, a singer-songwriter. We began a conversation on Twitter some time ago about Carl Jung, art, and the creative process, and we decided to share our discussion with all of you. So, Jay, you told me you wanted to talk about The Wizard of Oz. Let's talk. Why? Why do you want to talk about The Wizard of Oz? <laughs> I just think it's such a fascinating story that takes place when the main character is asleep. Yeah. And, and, okay. and I think that's, I think it works on many levels. And I think for one, it's it's about an inner myth. And, and that's what's playing out in The Wizard of Oz is, is Dorothy's inner myth. And parts of her that are undeveloped, working to be developed through that dream. You know, you go ahead. No, no, no you go, go, go. No, I, no, I, I you jumped. had a question. No, 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 no. I'm just uh, parts of yourself. I, I'm going to bring up a thorny issue. And uh, uh, because everybody brings this up with me and my love of Richard Wagner's operas, as you know, big fan. You do know the, the author's sketchy history. Uh, prior to writing The Wizard of Oz, right? Because this is, we're going to talk about fairy tales, but this is a different kind of thing because this is one person, just like Wagner with the Wing Cycle and Parsifal, et cetera. Right. It's one person, one consciousness bringing out a story and like a fairy tale, which is a collective um, story. You do know his sketchy history, right? If I, I may have at one time and forgotten it. Okay, I want to tell you because it's going to be mentioned by somebody just like Wagner. So about 10 years before he wrote The Wizard of Oz, my understanding is he wrote some sort of um, article advocating for the extermination of all Native Americans. So, um, um, yeah, I didn't I didn't know that till recently. I didn't I was, know that. I did okay. not know that. Well, we need to bring it out wow. because you know what? This No, no, no. You know what? I thought I'd bring it out and surprise you because I didn't know if you knew that. And the reason is... Okay, so this, and and by the way, I may be wrong. I, I did read an article by um, by someone discussing this this uh, Jungian take on, on on his work, but then mentioning this. But it's a good good thing to mention because it's a question that always comes up. What do you do with a writer, an artist, many kind, who is a really troubled, who has a really troubled um, view of the world, right? And certainly there was no, no one with a more troubling view of the world than Wagner, right? And so- my answer to it is, has always been, well, it's really the engagement with the collective unconscious through his art mm-hmm. that I'm interested in. I think the biography really is is less relevant. There are a lot of really lousy people in the world, including people who are great philosophers like Rousseau, and we've talked about this before. Just wanted to bring it out there because <clears throat> this has been uh, purportedly, this work has not been looked at the same way since this came to light and people started discussing this. So there you are. Well, I don't necessarily see it as something that belongs to him. I see it as something that belongs to all of us. Well, that's the way uh, I look but, at it. And I think that's really important to discuss, though, because this is a constant, whether it's Picasso, who's been in the news lately about his treatment of women, uh, Wagner, of course, uh, but, but there's been tons, Ibsen with his obsession of uh, the prizes, everybody, right? There's the, 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 the idea of the biography of the person being more important than the work. You see, to me, Marx was a horrible person in terms of what, you know, the way he treated his kids, et cetera. But he had this view of human nature, which, you know, mm-hmm. whether you agree with it or not, was feels a little bit more ennobling than others. But the fact is, he practically starved his kids. If it weren't for Engels, he probably would not have been able to feed his kids. So 
I look at it and I go, I'm not, the biography seems, it's a little bit like Jung, the biography seems less interesting to me than what he was a vehicle for, what, what he brought out. So I just thought mm-hmm. I'd bring it because I'm sure somebody will think about this. So let's go back to Dorothy <laughs> <laughs> and Kansas. And, uh, yeah. and, and by the way, something I find really fascinating about it because I was trying to remember it is the colors, all the colors involved, which we can get to, you know, the idea that right. uh, yeah. the, the film is black and white. Right. Well, you know, it's been colorized now, but yeah, yes, yes. Uh, But the way that you see it now and the way that I had always watched it growing Mm -hmm. up, because I love this, I would love to watch it. I I don't know how many times I watched it as a child. It was in black and white in the beginning. Then when she gets knocked out, it's in color. And then when she comes back, it's back to black and white, which that's the way I've always that's that's the way I've always seen it. So why did you watch it? What was it about that particular? I mean, I know a lot of people love it, but what was it as a child? Can you kind of hook into little Jay and what, wonder what was it that was attracting you to that that story? Just the adventure, I, I, the sense of adventure. And I do think there's something about watching these characters transform. Right. Uh, now, I wasn't saying that consciously as a child, no, of course. Of course. No. I, yeah. Mother, I'm going to go watch these characters transform. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's not what I was doing. But no, I, I do think that that's um, it was very uh, appealing. But I also think that uh, there's just so much so much archetypal stuff that comes alive yeah. in that. I mean, it's just rich. It, it's so rich. I mean, you have a road that you travel. It's, it, I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, it's a road of danger and it goes to dangerous places. And, you know, Dorothy has to confront the witch and everyone has to confront their fears. But I, I would say for me, even more recently, that we, you and I were discussing Jung the other day and we were talking about uh, the God image. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what it that's where the Wizard of Oz was brought up because you know Dorothy is ultimately in search to be at peace with home at right. peace with who she is mm-hmm. uh, that's what her quest is all about and these people in her dreams are actually parts of her you know when she yeah. wakes she points to one guy and she's you know one of the people that are around her home and she's like you i remember you you were there you were there well she's recognizing that these were all parts of herself right it, but the thing comes when she finally gets to the center of the whole journey the i guess i would say the the when the curtain is when the when the wizard of oz when the curtain's unveiled He's unveiled and, uh, you know, she sees what's at work here, that he was wearing a mask, mm-hmm. uh, that, yeah. that the God is, the God is wearing a mask. <clears throat> and, yeah. and so I, I think that, you know, she penetrates, you, you know, the, the central place in of her being or, and so uh, that's kind of what I thought of with, with the God image that, Right. Um, you know, the the wizard unveiling him or being unveiled is is kind of like the idea of there being something deeper beneath the God image, something that's right. happening. Right. You know what I was thinking when I was thinking back to this? Something that always comes up in my meetings, and that's feet. That sounds crazy. Oh, yeah. But, okay, first of all, yellow brick road, yellow. I'm thinking of the, yeah. the actual reference is the Emerald City, green. So there's very alchemical kind of thing going on mm. probably not consciously by him but it's funny how there's all this alchemical symbolism 
but those ruby red shoes that she has to keep clicking, right, to get home, right? So your shoes are your standpoint in life. And I'm really taken by red because I've seen this in dream work. And this is where I think I'm talking about uh, the red shoes. So the reason that they, they jump out to, at me is I've had people with red motifs in their dreams. And I thought to myself, what would it mean if I had that dream personally, right? How would I look at that dream? Okay, let's say I dream the whole Wizard of Oz story. And I would think that the key would be the shoes because the shoes are often your standpoint in life. And I would think I would get a dream like that when the passion had gone out of my life, when something life-affirming was gone because red always seems to me to something that gets things moving, right? It is associated, at least in my head, with passion. In fact, I remember years ago, I had a... Uh, young friend who who was having that dream with with very vivid red hair and i remember talking about her well what's going on and it turned out that that's exactly what was going on she didn't feel alive right her dream was kind of compensating for that by showing it to her so anyway that's what i when i look at those shoes and i look at the way she gets back is that she needs to infuse her life with some sort of engagement in some way or another and then all these characters show up because you are disengaged and disconnected mm -hmm. and you know, so you need Toto, the trickster figure, and you need the four aspects of yourself, you know, quaternion. And you need at the end of the day to realize that it's all big, one big show and that that's what you're putting on. But if I had that dream, that's the way I would look at it. That something is missing in my life. Why else would you have all these characters show up? Because that's often when you get the big dreams. Something's not moving. Something is. And so, of course, the yellow brick road. Yes, I think of the path of the sun. You know, yellow is mm -hmm. um, often associated with. And by the way, it's a masculine journey. Here's a young female having a dream with all these male characters, parts of herself that are not integrated yet. And uh, and she's traveling this road, which seems to me a bit of the the masculine journey, twisty, you know, whatever. And then she gets to to the the wizard, and it turns out it's kind of an empty shell. It's not the the thing she thinks it is. But yes, she ends up integrated at the end of it. But for some reason, I don't know why. Is this me? Like the shoes just seem so significant in this whole story, and Honestly. and that is how she gets back. And do you know where she got the shoes? I can't remember. I only watched she once. got them. She she got them from the witch that her house landed on. Oh, um at the beginning okay. of the journey so a witch died yes yes i remember and, seeing the, the feet coming out that's awesome yeah, yeah doesn't that make sense to you because mm -hmm. then to me of course there would be because it's integrating that part of her right one thing i i look at her um as a character and i think of the very young female right a lot of our we've talked about this i think before but if not i mean the books i'm going to recommend today are all by marie louise Mon france she talks about how that is a, that's a transitional period, right? Where the young female has to take on some masculine qualities. That's the big moment. Um, all too often it's represented as a kiss, but it's really the original stories don't have that kiss. They have much more violent sometimes ways of integrating because it makes sense. The young feminine has to bring in her masculine side and the masculine side isn't relational. That's why the kiss kind of bugs me. Um, if it's not in its proper context, I mean, it can only be at the end when you've integrated the, that that even happens, but uh, yeah, those, a lot of the stories you get for where the young woman is the protagonist, she is constantly trying to bring parts of herself they're much more masculine into the into the equation. So that's actually a brilliant story that he came up with because that's exactly mm -hmm. what she's doing, you know? But she gets it from the witch. Well, a witch is that kind of part of ourselves that is always testing us to see, okay, are you, are you, are you worth? I mean, do you have energy to overcome what you're about right. to, to go through? Right. So it's it's brilliant. I didn't really I'd forgotten that. But now I, I remember the 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 house uh squishing her and seeing those those feet coming out. So she's getting it from the part of herself that actually, again, 
is much more, um, how should we say, the, that is able to deal with the harshness of life as opposed right. to things that are all, like Glenda kind of bugs me. I'm sorry. Even as a kid, I remember watching that. The, the good one, the, isn't her name Glenda? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I just, the good okay. Witch, so what yes. was your view? Okay, what was your view of Glenda when you were a young, young guy? I, I thought she was wonderful. <laughs> she was. Blissful. I'm sorry, a cynic. <laughs> really sweet saccharine woman. Ugh. Yeah, I kind of, yeah. I kind of like the other witch better. She and by the way, I mean, and you know, we talked about this. Robert Bly's thinking of re envisioning, reimagining the the motif of the witch is the thing that is constantly coming at you, is trying to test you to see. Again, do you have the power to overcome those fears in yourself to be able to go to the next step? And he has this brilliant line where he says, you know, um, he doesn't want some bland new age pop coming coming at him. You know, she wants somebody who can withstand, you know, the typical blight. But but he's right. He he this is um and I think he was talking about the new age movement because he said the new age movement had a terrible tendency to always reach for the light without understanding right. the or in the earth, right? So it kind right. of makes sense. But that's what he called it. He said he, she, he doesn't want, she doesn't want some new age bland pop coming out or she wants somebody with, strong, with strength and with the ability to say, yeah, we'll fight on no matter what. And, and he tells, I, I've got to, I will link it for people. He has this one story he tells, which is brilliant, about a, a man who goes <laughs> who, who goes off and I don't remember where he is, but he meets the witch who really puts him through, you know, through uh every every uh challenge you can imagine but at the end keeps kind of rewarding him for every every step he takes so glinda she kind of bugs me she seems way too saccharine and it's like right you know the the darkness is what what so what about the monkeys isn't everybody afraid of the monkeys remember that whole, <laughs> that whole was it the flying monkeys i've only watched yes. it once yeah you had no reaction yes. to that it didn't scare you no those were kind of scary to me those okay, were, those everybody were did yeah i've heard yeah. that and there were, people yeah and and there were other like kind of uh like these guards or whether that were, that were kind of scary right yeah that part was always kind of scary as when i was young um right, i don't mean of course. yeah i'm not sure what else to say about the flying monkeys <laughs> <laughs> no i'm just asking because that's always the one that's brought up how can you show that to kids that has that scene it's like oh you know there's me it's a little bit like um bruno battleheim said this you know in the um what is it the theories of in Oh, I can't remember the name of the book, but it'll come to me. But his understanding of fairy tales was that, you know, children actually do, do want to read violent and extreme mm -hmm. stories because in a way it allows them to understand some emotions they have, which are really scary. You know, remember mm -hmm. being a kid and being in a rage so great that you thought you could do damage. So he thought if you sanitized it or you, you made it, uh, you know, it's dead. You, you took away the very power that they had. So, so yeah, so absolutely. This is again, if you look, read the original um, fairy tales prior to the, them being Christianized and changed and modified, they're pretty brutal. I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean so what happened to Cinderella's sisters when you read the actual German version? I mean, they basically have their, their, they dance themselves to death or something. Something happens, but it's brutal. It's right. not like, oh, saccharine. Now they're just going to, you know, sit in the background and be nice, nice women. It's it's really, it's, I think the mother's eyes get plucked out. I mean, the stepmother's mother uh, eyes get plucked out. So pretty scary stuff. But the idea was that you are dealing with internal forces, right? Because a fairy tale, like a dream, is just you, your parts of yourself speaking to you. And so you're just trying to integrate that. And so some parts of yourself are pretty scary. That's just the way it is. You mm -hmm. know, we all have another control rage. We all have incredible jealousy sometimes. You know, we have all parts of ourselves that are really, really uncomfortable. And those tales take you there, but they allow you to process it without feeling 
like, okay, you're losing uh, part of yourself. Now with the Wizard of Oz, again, we go back to the interesting thing. It's a little bit like Pinocchio, right? These two stories, Pinocchio and the Wizard of Oz, are both really archetypal, but they're both produced mm-hmm. by one person. In the case of, I can't remember the, it's Italian. I can't remember the actual, the, the name of the uh, writer for Pinocchio. <clears throat> but anyway, they're, they're produced by one person, which is really interesting, which brings me to a question. Um, and, and I think about this because, of course, in literature as well, uh, are they are there people that just like wake up one day and they just have instant like how does that happen that you suddenly create this story and i know you can't answer this i'm just putting it out there this i find it so fascinating the ability and this is where i think we respect certain artists that the ability to take this and suddenly create this story that is universal and it's liked in every country and that people relate to on in such a in such a big way i just don't even know how that happens how does that happen it's, um, it's almost like uh, the more it hits the the more that it resonates with people the less credit an artist can take for it because mm-hmm. can, because it's really not theirs yeah <laughs> I, mean, I agree i agree they just yeah. become a vehicle of yeah translation yeah. translating something for but but it is interesting that it does happen at certain times i would say even someone like tolkien who who is just so revered is and you know, his knowledge was ridiculous about languages, about myth, about everything. But when it came down to writing this little story about these little hobbits, something happened in that brain that just, you know, accessed a whole bunch of all the, uh, you know, all the archetypes that are sitting there. By the way, I was thinking the Wicked Witch of the West. So the sun dies in the West. So the Wicked Witch must be from the West because that is where death happens, right? If you think about it, uh, nothing dies in the East. It's always the sun rises, right? Um, so the even there, that, the one that yeah. died was the Wicked Witch of the East. Oh, does she die? Oh, I didn't know that. The, the, so one, the one with the shoes. Went, the yeah, one with shoes. the shoes. Yes, well, she was the okay. Wicked Witch of the East. Yeah, so she and, gets she gets the shoes. Interesting. And yeah. and Glinda or whatever her name was the yeah. Witch of the North. The North. Uh huh. Do we have a South? I I don't remember a South. <laughs> Okay, I don't know. She was you really did know this story. I just completely maybe yeah. Dorothy's the South because that's the place of youth. Why is the uh, South the place? Of, who, who said that? Uh, I, I, I guess are you just speaking from... because you're from Oklahoma? No, no, I'm speaking <laughs> as a Canadian. Of... This does not I... sound good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking that well, I mean, it works for the US for sure. We're a very youthful country. No, like I I take that from the the archetypal directions of of something called the medicine wheel looking mm-hmm. at it uh, archetypally uh that the south is is the place of uh youth of chaos of creativity of mm-hmm. i would say of the unconscious okay um, that's interesting because if you look at an astrological wheel the south although depends whether you're in the northern or southern hemisphere would equate to the fourth house which is the unconscious right um mm-hmm. where things before they be they become um real or be before they're mm-hmm. manifest in the physical reality so that's interesting i never thought about it but yeah okay the west is the is considered the direction of change right 
um, the direction of, of transformation. The north would be the direction of the adults. And the East would be tied to spirituality. If you look at like the the Hogan the, that, that the Navajo use, uh, they set up their Hogan in a way where the entrance space is East. And that's the place of emergence. That's where you mm-hmm. enter. And that's also where you leave. Yeah, where you leave. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting because that is exactly like if you look at a, a wheel, um, an astrological Hellenistic, let's say you go right back and you look at it. The east is the first breath, right? Mm. That's the mm-hmm. moment that the uh, that the uh, you take the first breath. It gets mapped onto the east, and then you move through the day. And the north, which would be tenth house, so it would be the zenith. That's your like the height of mm-hmm. uh, your career. So let's say that's midlife in the Jungian system. The west is the death or the transformation. Exactly the same mm-hmm. thing because you're you're uh, going into another reality. Then you go to the fourth, which is the south. And that's where it's often um, it, it uh, rules the grave. So it's between kind of like the, and also, by the way, the whole family inheritance. So you always see the, um, if there's any family story that has been like, like the Rastaya being passed generation to generation, it comes from that place, right? Of, uh, of kind of like patterning. But it is very much in the underworld, like in the, it's almost like a space of when nothing happens because things are resting and then you rise again, right? And it's the whole process mm-hmm. starts again. It's very neat, you know, very interesting. And they're all mapping on the same thing because I think they're looking at one thing, which is the daily of just basically what happens in the morning, noon, you know, right? you're looking at the sky and you're mapping it according to what you're seeing as light and dark, right? Right. And of course, in the West is when light starts just diminishing so or diminish or completely disappears so it makes sense that that is when things um transform it's interesting when we studied that wheel in um in the program i was in you know of course we talked about it we we talked about it in in multiple ways because it's it's ultimately a it's cyclical and uh you know we we pass through these directions multiple times in our lives yeah you know Mm -hmm. but if for say if you're in the place of the north if you're in it what it did was because this is this is all about archetypes but it also talked about what a person takes on when they get too stuck in the north or what it looks like what it looks like when a person's too stuck in the south and in that you know the opposite is the answer to get out Mm. of of that position so a person that's stuck in the north has to do something, has to uh, integrate their child in some way to get to the okay. East, right. if that okay, makes sense, you. to get to the spiritual, you know, right. whatever. <clears throat> no, that totally makes sense because it's all polarity again, right? That the opposite mm-hmm. is what's often which you have to integrate, which all, again, speaks to shadow issues, which speaks to a whole bunch of things. Getting stuck in the North, hmm, that's really interesting because getting stuck in the North is where I think our culture is stuck. Yes. Uh, the North is you always want to be in the sun. You always want to be famous. You always want to be uh, successful. Uh, everybody fears the West, right? Because that's where things die and you don't want to even talk about it. I know this because uh, I'm having the conversation with a lot of people about aging parents and and the resistance to the change, the ultimate change of maybe getting assisted living or whatever. And it's always the resistance to going into the West, you know? Um, funny that Tolkien saw that, well, he saw it at his death as well. That's where you went, right? You crossed, uh, crossed over, but it didn't have that kind of heaviness. Whereas I think in our culture, yeah, that's a big fear. You don't want to go there. You always want to be at the north, and and you see people who are, who shouldn't be thinking about north things still thinking about north things, even when they they clearly should be 
taking on some bigger issues, shall, shall we say, or issues that are not quite as much in the light. So yeah, no, it works on so many different levels. And I think fairy tales actually, just to go back to fairy tales, um, what's really interesting to me is if you look at, uh, there's a guy called Alan Shannon who wrote a whole bunch of books about uh, tales as they apply to different parts of your life. But most of them, 70% of the tales are for adolescent. The transition in adolescence is just huge. And we all know this, we're hoping through this, it is ridiculous. You become literally a new person. It's very tough. And then he said, there's a whole category of tales that are actually meant to come to terms with death but they're a smaller bunch, but they're still there. But then he found a bunch of midlife tales, which I thought were really fascinating. Uh, in different cultures, they tell you how to navigate midlife, which is amazing because some of them are quite old. Like there's a, a one he tells, the Persian one, which is fabulous, uh, which basically is about all about the feminine taking on the masculine tasks and the masculine taking on the feminine tasks. And it's just really well thought out. But again, that there are tales that are, trying to tell you what to do at these moments in your life. And certainly in midlife, when the sun starts going down, you're not really supposed to want to stay there. You want to, you want to be able to find another path, right? But just going back to that, if you don't know the tales, if you don't have stories that can inform you, and this is always in the news, the fact that you can't, you know, the whole aging story, right? How you can't have stories with people that are aging and maybe doing something different than trying to be sex symbols or, or successful, or it, it's embarrassing to me as a culture that we can't come up with better stories, right? right? And this is, I think, why we're attracted to these Dumbledore figures, because somehow they transitioned into a third act and didn't become parodies of themselves, strutting around on a stage, perhaps. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying, can we have other stories that allow you to become the mentor, let's say? I think that's a really big, important part of getting older, being mentoring others, right? Because hopefully you've reached a point where you can. Does that does that resonate at all with you? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know what you think of him. I mean, uh, I would say an, an example of someone that's taken that on in film has been Clint Eastwood here lately. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the roles that he's played in the last 15 years, it, he's he's really been able to, and maybe he's he's more fortunate because he's a man, and it looks more kindly on this, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, his roles, he's really embraced his age in his roles and, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, regardless of what else he does <laughs> or says, you know, uh, he, uh, I, I have seen that in his film, like lots of mentoring kind, oh, that's of, interesting. kind of that role. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Harrison Ford's in the news a lot lately because he's got a new, a new film. I think it's wrapping up the Indiana Jones. I haven't, I haven't, um, I haven't, I wasn't paying that much attention to it. But in general, I think that that is not the norm. Like you, I mean, some some movies will have it. I don't think they, I think what happens is they ignore that whole phase altogether. It's like embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> they either become the the you know um, dim-witted parents who are losing their minds. It's just not a it's not a, a thing we focus a lot of our attention on, which is too bad because a whole segment of the population is heading there. You might want to say you might want to give right. them a roadmap, you know, right. but it's not going to happen because it's not pretty. It it comes with challenges that people don't really want to face. And then I think that's what happens. You know, you enter that phase, no, no roadmap, no, no elders, because the elders weren't elders. They were just, you know, and everybody trying to kind of fix their faces or do something to be able to survive according to the rules of a second half of life. You know, this is where Jung really, I think this is where he really became Jung to me because of that heart attack when he was 66, I guess, 1944. So it would have been about 66, 67. And then having this weird experience, this, you know, near death experience where 
you know, something clicked and then deciding, no, I'm going to write what I want to write. And then writing these, these incredible books in the seventies and really becoming who he was supposed to be. Uh, and that was difficult. Now I, I say that, and yet he still didn't want the red book published, which is interesting to me because the red book is basically everything. And yet he still kept it in the vault. I don't know what to make of that. What do you make of that? Part of me has always thought that it was, he, he felt it to be too sacred to share. Part, and yet part of me felt that okay. way. Right. But the, the, of course, there's the other side of that, which is he wanted to maintain a reputation as, you know, a, more of a you know, stoic scientist. And That's yes, kind of... Mysterium. I mean, all those last works mm -hmm. are pretty, pretty radical, right? So mm -hmm. he allowed himself to go this way. Here's what I think. I think Jung might have thought that he was an artist like Dante and that I wonder sometimes, it's a totally made up story, okay? Did was he afraid because the red book looks a lot like a literary literary piece, right? And it had books and whatever. Do you think maybe he might have been worried that he wouldn't that people would have perceived him as trying to be a Dante and or Goethe, uh, and that that's what kept him from being the releasing it? Well, well especially since he focused so much on Goethe, yeah. um, he yeah. I mean he makes countless references to Goethe. Well, he thinks in, he's an, he, he thinks he's a descendant of Goethe's at some point, uh -huh, right? Uh -huh. He thinks that he might have been somehow related. So yeah, and he and of course Goethe is the 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 big man of letters of, in the German letters. And by the way, the last part of Faust, how does it finish? It has the words "Hail the Eternal Feminine." I mean, isn't this the the whole young story? So it kind of makes sense, right? Although somebody who follows me on Facebook, who I really like, said that uh, he he decided upon retirement that he would read Goethe's Faust one. And Faust too, and they said, "Look, I read Edinger, I read the books, so they're just crazy." And I thought, "Yeah, they're pretty." Crazy. I mean, that's the thing you read, especially part two. It's like somebody who took major psychedelic drugs and then wrote this because it's crazy stuff. But it is hailed as one of the most important pieces that's out there. And I just wonder if you compare yourself to that because it's just so weird to me. He clearly was producing of a publication. I mean, all the signs are that he was editing, he was doing. You this. think so? You think I so, think, huh? oh, absolutely. I just think he didn't have the guts to release it, possibly because, as you say, he was caught up in his, but, you know, by the 70s, he didn't seem to care that much. I mean, when you publish something like Ion, you're already kind of, mm, you're, you're, you're talking about things that most people are not going to accept, okay? And Mysterium even more so. But the, the fact that he didn't go that extra step, and then his family, of course, decided they were going to keep it under wraps, but. But, but even with Ion and Mysterium, uh, he still, wearing he's exploring those ideas as a as an academic yeah you know in in so, the red book he can't hide in the same way oh yeah so and so publishing those two was safer yeah so do we have any hope i mean if this man this incredible <laughs> no no think about it if this incredible man the credible thinker couldn't resolve that fundamental split within himself does anybody do any of us have have a hope that we'll ever resolve our fundamental like this is my theme right this is my idea that we all have something that is never going to be resolved but that but we're sure. here to kind of work on it but it's never going to be ultimately very few people will get to the level where they said yeah tension is resolved something created and i think that's where he was not able to bring those reconcile that part of him because he kept stressing empiricist empiricist but you know what he's a pretty big mystic right in many ways mm -hmm. he was behaving like one but he couldn't do it he couldn't bring those two and i think releasing the red book would have said to me anyway yeah you've 
completely come to terms with the fact that really at the end of the day, you're you're an artist. You're not even a you're not even a like you're a, you're a, a literary uh, genius of some sort because the Red Book can be seen that way. But no, he couldn't do it. And I just think it's so interesting for whatever. Maybe reason. he was maybe he was embarrassed. Maybe it was a because he had built up such a such a, an anthology of of work and literature that there was a certain amount of maybe it's not so much about how people would have seen him but I could have seen like well here I am I'm almost 80 and I'm just now to the point to where I'm considering doing something I've always wanted to do yeah uh, uh I'm wondering if that played into it as well as uh, you know <laughs> No, it could be. I mean, he had written it obviously when he was much younger, and he yeah. says that that was the basis of all of his uh, right. actual theories. But the releasing of that, he could release the theories that you know, I don't know how many papers, talks, whatever. And he he talked about some pretty dodgy things, right? He was open about it, but somehow that's the thing he couldn't do. And I just think right. that's so fascinating. I'm much more fascinated by what we can't do than the things we put out there, because clearly this was something he could that line he could not cross. Yeah. I'm fascinated by it. I don't know why. So we're going to recommend books now. Okay. I don't know if you thought about the music, but you're going to have to Jay on the spot. So when you're talking about fairy tales and you're talking about young, there's only one. Oh, of course, I guess you can go watch the, uh, the uh, now colorized uh, Wizard yeah. of Oz. Um, but I think, I think, and I said this today, because I actually happened to put something on Instagram about this. I think if you're going to understand your dreams, there is no better way than doing a lot of work on fairy tales, just because you start seeing the same motif show up over and over again. So I would recommend anything by Von Franz that has the word fairy tales on it. <laughs> and there's lots of the shadow and evil fairy tales. There's the interpretation of fairy tales and that, you know, there's a ton of them out there and I'm going to list them all. And I hope people read at least one. It's interesting when I first uh, did one of her books on fairy tales with the group early on, people were just baffled. They just said, what is, <laughs> I remember someone saying, I don't understand a word of this. I think there's something here. So it, it may require uh, more than one reading. I would say that. But she's brilliant. She's just so incredibly brilliant. There is no more brilliant mind. I think even more than Jung in some ways than Marie's one France. So that's what I recommend. So music, any ideas? What would go with music? the uh, what would with go with fairy? the fairytale vibe? Yeah, come on. What would oh go with the Oh my gosh, that's difficult. Uh, well, the the first person that came to mind was was Dylan because he's a really good storyteller at certain points in his career. What about yeah, Leonard so. Cohen's Hallelujah? Yes. To me, that always seems like it has the whole fairy tale vibe right into it. It does. That's that's yeah. a good one. Strawberry Fields Forever. Do you know who did that? Yes, I know who did that. <laughs> I think I know who did that. Isn't that your favorite or one of your favorites? The Beatles? Yeah, it's a Lennon song, but it's the Beatles. Okay. 
uh, Strawberry Fields Forever, uh, off the top of my head. <clears throat> Fairy tale just means archetypal to me in many right. ways. So are there songs that have big archetypal themes? And when I think of Hallelujah, I just think that there are lines in there that could have been taken straight out of a fairy tale, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why. And Leonard Cohen is just amazing in so many ways. But because he was a poet, really, uh, more than anything else, you really get a sense of, of that. But I can't think of any other ones. Well, I mean, there are operas, but I'm not going to throw people to an opera because that's a bit extreme. So, but there's a great opera. There's a great operatic adaptation of Hansel and Gretel and blah, blah, blah. Okay. I will wait for you to tell me, then I'll post it. But, uh, but okay. yeah, so, so we learned about what you were like as a kid and your obsession with, with, uh, yeah, the Wizard <laughs> of Oz. That's good. <laughs> that's all good. Thanks for listening. If you like Jay's music and would like to support the creation of more, follow the link to the GoFundMe page in the show notes. You can support my work by buying my new novel, Invocation, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and through many booksellers across the world. For now, until next time.